Well, I must say, we have a very exciting proposal. A video game based on your many adventures. What would you call it? Iggy's World. The Indomitable Spike. The Super Koopa Cousins. Hello and welcome to Philosophize, where we're about to talk about Super Mario Brothers. Hi there, Matt. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. You all right? Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to talking about this film. That surprises me. I mainly picked it to punish you. <laughs> oh, did you now? Yeah. Well, you, you'd be happy to know after my first watch, I was indeed punished. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought to myself, yeah... Hmm. I didn't miss anything in 1993. <laughs> I've got. To, I've got to say though, as, as a slight aside, I went to Stockholm once, and um, a slight I, aside. We'll get back to things. <laughs> I went to Stockholm once. I didn't really like it, but I hung around enough, and I got to like the place. In other words, I got Stockholm syndrome in Stockholm, and having watched this film three times now, I kind of like it. And I can only put it down to a, a kind of quasi-equivalence of Stockholm Syndrome, of, of watching it, thinking about it, uh, getting interested in some of the things that are going on, and ending up liking it at the back end. So I am actually now telling you I really liked it. That's deeply disturbing. <laughs> a long, long time ago, the Earth was ruled by dinosaurs. They were big, so not a lot of people went around hassling them. Actually, no people went around hassling them because there weren't any people yet. Just the first tiny mammals. Basically, life was good. You know, it just don't get no better than this. Yeah. Then something happened. A giant meteorite struck the Earth. Goodbye, dinosaurs. What if the dinosaurs weren't all destroyed? What if the impact of that meteorite created a parallel dimension where the dinosaurs continue to thrive and evolve into intelligent, vicious, aggressive beings? Just like us. And hey, what if they found a way back? Well, it's an adaptation of the uh, video game franchise Mario, which started in the... Or the Mario Brothers, which started in, in the 80s. Uh, loosely based on Super Mario World, which was their first game on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, which was the next generation console, released about 1990, I think. When did it hit UK? Because I remember I was alive then and a teenager at that time, a young teenager, and one of my friends had um, Nintendo and had Super Mario Brothers game, and I used to go, I had a crap old Spectrum that this dude had, had um, a Nintendo of some sort. So I remember playing it incessantly incessantly mm. when um i uh, was a kid so what year was that and i've got to say when i start when i watched the movie the first time halfway through i wasn't enjoying it mm. very much and i thought to inspire <laughs> me i'd go online and find one <laughs> and find a version of the guy i ended up playing that for three hours which of course you were able to pay legally because you own a physical copy of the game Oh, it was somewhere online. Can we put the links in the, uh, on the website? I'll let you decide that when you come back to me, you're our legal department, you come back to me on that one. 
But I ended up playing it, and I loved it. And in a sense, that was one of the things that helped me to love the movie, yeah. playing the game again. Um, so I think it was... Uh, in, hit in the UK would have been the late 80s. There were... Oh, you put me on the spot here. I would have done some research on 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 this issue. Uh, this is just sort of my background um, nerdiness about uh, video game history. Um, so there were some distribution problems, I think, with Nintendo in the UK, and it took a while for it to enter the the UK market because of that. Even though it was Nintendo were dominating Sega in the US, um, it it took a bit longer in in the UK, and also with the you mentioned the spectrum. There was the, the vibrant home microcomputer uh, video game industry on tapes in in the UK as well, mm-hmm. uh, where it ended up in competition. So the the NES sort of came in as a more expensive option compared to the even the Master System, and then of course like the Spectrum and and Commodore were more much more affordable, um, largely because and also the games were cheap because they could be distributed on tape instead of these expensive cartridges and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I remember you know. Only certain people had the Nintendo, and you were very lucky if you if you had a friend. Who was yeah, one of so them. I I think sort of late eighties is when is when that that would have been happening, unless they were particularly rich. Well, anyway, all I'm saying is I re- I was there and I remember mm. it, and it was it was great. Yeah, um, I I remember playing it. It's a similar. I think it was my cousins had it when when I was playing it. Must have been about three or four, and really liking it and. And we just had the uh, we had an Amstrad CPC four six four with a green screen monitor, which was the cheaper one aimed at offices. <laughs> and it, um, I was playing things like Dizzy, and it was not absolutely nothing like uh, Mario Brothers, but there was something really special about that. It really changed what the what platformers were. Um, and then in the early nineties, you had the next generation of consoles, which, which um, had even better graphics. And then this film comes along, sort of three or four years after that's hit. Um, even in the UK. So it's quite historic in one way. I think we both know what way, but... I'll let yeah, you it's say the it. first time anyone tried to make a of a video game. Yeah, the first video game adaption. And it was not the last failure. <laughs> I mean, you've got kind of like um, the early... Tron's earlier than this, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like... The, they've got that idea, but this is the first adaptation. Yep, absolutely. And um, believe it or not... Um, until a couple of years ago, I think 2017, with the release of Detective Pikachu, it was the only adaptation of a Nintendo property. So yeah, it was it was a bit of an experiment, and judging by what was in the Wikipedia page, Nintendo saw it that way, sort of like as a low-risk uh, thing to sort of just see what happened. I guess a bit like the inverse of how, um, sorry, a licensing of films to video game companies um, in, in the 80s was, was happening as something that didn't really put the the film franchise at much risk. Yeah, I suppose it's before um, before the the emergence even of the idea of transmedia, where you've got lots of different platforms and lots of different things yeah. going on. I mean, you, with Doctor Who, you had the TV series and then the comics started in 64, but really in earnest in 79. Then you get it gets cancelled in the mid-80s and you've got audios and books. Mm. So it's happening, but but no one's really... T- no one's really stood back and go, hang on, we can create worlds out of this in yeah, lots I think, of different yeah, ways. I, th- I think a- that, that, I mean, that, that concept comes even later. I, I certainly, the, the yeah. first thing I can remember doing it and really being applauded for, wow, they're really trying to do this, was the Matrix sequels. Yeah, okay, that's a good So point. They, had, yeah. they released a game called Enter the Matrix um, for the original Xbox and PlayStation 2, which was 
critically panned, I think. It was an absolutely awesome game. I loved it. And that contained bits of story that um, that you weren't going to get from the film. And there were comics as yeah. well, weren't there? As uh, yeah. Matrix as well, and and a, and a yeah, comic. Animatrix. Yeah, there was like an anthology of different uh, animated film short films. Yeah. Like most things, the concepts come yeah. after it's actually come into being. And I mean, it's worth focusing on this because it, it was a bit of an odd idea. Now, now in general, historically, um, I can't think of many adaptations of video games that have been great successes. Certainly, the one that the one that seems to have done the most well i think would have been the resident evil franchise but i don't know anyone i I never played resident evil but i don't know anyone who likes resident evil who tells me that the films are great although the first one was meant to be quite good yeah i've I've, I've seen the films back a couple at least a couple of them back in the day and they didn't i didn't abhor them and i think i did play Mm. resident evil when it first came out the the odd thing is they're going the other direction it usually works quite well, not according to a law, but usually there's well, there has been a lot of success in converting films into video games, which started in the eighties. Although, having said that, there's also been a lot of failures, and um, the incident which caused the collapse of the Western uh, video game market, a video game console market, with the, the when Atari went bust, was because of an adaptation of a game based on ET, where things went really wrong <laughs> for them. Uh, there's um, all documentaries about this, but basically they, had, they buried all of the cartridges somewhere out in the desert because they couldn't sell them. But it's sort of a bit easier to see how you would convert a, um, a film into a video game because you just sort of say, well, it's a story, and then you you create a game in which your player plays out the sort of is the main character or something like that, carries out that story, whereas the interactive element of a video game is never going to transfer into a film. So already they're a, a bit of a challenge. And I mean, it, interestingly, um, it seems that they had a bit of a postmodern in, in scare quotes take on it. It's th- sort of designing it to be the film as though Nintendo had based the game on the film. Well, yeah, that I think is a really good observation. I, I mean, the thing to, to start with there is really all they've done is taken the idea of characters, taken some 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 kind of like ideas from it and tried to narrativize it in their own way. Um, and in order to do that, they've drawn on a, uh, intertextual on, on a number of things, mm. I think. I mean, the most famous one is obviously Wizard of Oz. It's got a very kind of Wizard yeah. of Oz kind of moment. You know, I've got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn anymore, <laughs> says um, Luigi. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, straight out of Wizard Wars, which uh, what Dorothy says to Toto, but with mm. Kansas, and uh, and then you right at the end, you've got the bit with Luigi clicking his heels just before I missed the, that. Take well, off on the turbo boots, uh, you know, like the red slippers. You know, we want to go home. So the the whole film is kind of encapsulated within that moment. There's a Star Wars one, isn't there? That I've heard people talk about this one. You know, trust the fungus, which is kind of trust the force, <laughs> Luke, or use the force, Luke, and that comes up. Trust the fungus a number of times. Uh, interestingly, just on this fungus mm. point, this is the, I think, the second best fungus film. The first one is a film called Performance uh, from 1970 by Donald Campbell and Nick Rogue. Do you know this film? No. <laughs> so it's a guy. It stars Mick Jagger. It's brilliant, and James Fox. Let's just say. The mushrooms are of a very, very magical variety. Okay, so that's my favourite fungus film. 
And of course, Star Trek Discovery is very fungusy in its own way. Spore Trek, as one of my friends mentioned it. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, probably somebody out there who's thought about all of this much deeper than we have. But I even saw resonances with Pink Floyd's The Wall. You know, like when all the Goombas are marching on the spot, there's a real mm. wide shot and it goes back and there's metal. That reminded me of all the kind of kids or the concert goers all walking on the spot with those, with those masks and faces on. You know, mm. so I, I think it's it's drawing off a lot of culture and images yeah. and stuff like that in order to to, to um, give it a bit of vitality and life that that it that it can't that at this point with a basic side-scrolling video game it just can't get from yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. It's a very filmic film. It is. Yeah, it, it is really clever stuff, groundbreaking stuff in in, in a number of ways, which are just not. Not really spectacular anymore. The um, the uh, for even the uh, Yoshi model, uh, the the people from Jurassic Park came over to have a look at that to sort of because like they found out oh somebody oh, else right. is doing a dinosaur. Let's have a look at that. I think in the end they didn't hire the people who were working on it, but they were it was sufficiently advanced that um, the the dinosaur film to end all dinosaur films was to, was uh, paying a close eye to the production. And there's there's lo- loads of ways which I can, we'll probably get into later where they have really um, tried to reference the original um, you know the games and and the, the original uh, property that they're adapting in in really nice ways like the most the, mo- the most obvious one being like the fine like the finale between Cooper and Mario is on a bridge which is in the original game that's what it always those boss battles would yeah. be you'd have to jump past Cooper in some way and grab the I think it is, and then the the bridge would disappear yep. and Cooper would fall down. Um, you know, there's loads of like little moments in there. Um Dennis Hopper's performance is great. Although he's Dennis Hopper, yeah. what's your favorite? I mean, it's mostly great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things said about this film mm. that uh, the Rocky Martin, one of the directors, along with Annabelle, uh what's it, Annabelle Jankel, Yankel, um, who did Mac all the Max Headroom stuff the uh, late 80s um he called the, he called the production harrowing and hoskins said it was the worst movie he was in mm. and really hated it and they had, him and him and him and luigi had to get drunk every day before they came <laughs> on set and all of this and that dennis hopper didn't understand it but there's a when he's there are moments where he is just absolutely phenomenal my favorite is when he's ordering the pizza yeah <laughs> the way he delivers those lines is just wonderful, and there's a little callback to it a bit later on when it arrives late. So now, I mean, I, I, I suspect sort of reading, reading, reading stuff around, I think they probably had a really difficult time on that film. There's no, no denying that, but I think maybe the, the whatever the opposite of rose tinted glasses are, I think there's some really good performance. And and, and Dennis, like, the, I mean, the, one of the big things is that he's. He walks around with his hands up to his chest like he's a T Rex. You're yeah. like you're pretending to be a T Rex. Um, well, Iggy and Spike, when we first meet them, yeah. they're kind of like pattering away, like like dinosaurs. You know, mm. sort of lizardy, lizardy. They kind of lose that a bit when they when they go through the machine and mm-hmm. get uh, get hyper intelligent. Um, well, I love them. I, I mean, I yeah. love the characters in it. I thought I thought they were great. My favourite is Lena. Uh, Dennis Hopper's Queen, Fiona Shaw. I thought she was brilliant with hair like uh, Marge Simpson. Mm. Thought she was absolutely wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, I love the, yeah, the it's a really, characters. Absolutely, and it's a really intriguing world. I said the world building in it is really good. I mean, it doesn't give you a bunch of lore 
per se, but you know, it feels like a really rich world with lots of things going on about it, and you you know, want, wanting to explore it. It actually it would be like the film of the video. Sorry, the video game of the film would actually be really really nice to yeah, play. Really you know, good. one where you could actually um, you know, a game based on the film with what Janet H. Murray calls encyclopedic extent. You know, the ability to fully explore an environment in that you know, talk to people that would, that would be great. You know, it's like it's like Blade Runner. I believe the set designer was the same set designer as from Blade then. Runner. There you so go. That's a that's a very good intuited uh, moment there. Um, yeah, I thought the mise en scène. I thought the way in which it was. I mean, the cars and the alleys and all of that stuff was just fun, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I, I I just loved the mise en scène. I, I loved everything from the dirtiness of it. But it was its own world in a sense, you know, like people sort of like we, we did, um, what was it called? Fifth Element. And that kind of like broke a mold and created yeah. its own world. And I thought, you know, I think this place does, you know, you can't really refer it back to anything else. It really does create its own. It's got elements of Blade Runner, admittedly, mm. but it's not got that kind of you know smokiness to it it's 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 more it's really kind of claustrophobic and, in, and enclosed in a really visceral way and i loved the idea of the posters for uh king cooper up everywhere you know king cooper loves yeah. puppies and king cooper is an environmentalist and king cooper you know <laughs> it, so there was this kind of there was this kind of Western view of a Sovietness about it, so to speak, you know, reused cars. I mean, yeah, uh, Cuba esque, perhaps more than more than Soviet in that way, where mm. things have been repurposed multiple times. In terms of the world, not in terms of the film, it's um, it's in media res. There's so much story that's already happened. You know, the deposing of the king, uh, Daisy's father, and and taking over. And why does he call himself president if he's you know what, what what's going on there? Mm. Why is he electioneering? I mean, I, I did read that part of the intent there is that Cooper has like this sort of early on in the film this sort of vision of what New York is in a couple of moments, and then tries to impose that upon the city where he's from to make it more like that's why you've got the taxis that look a bit like New York taxis. And it's, so. it's, I mean, we'll get on to the, the the plot if you like later, but but in other words, it's a pre merging going on there. Yeah, the, the, it, that happens off yeah. screen for us. You know, wh- whatever the intentions are for us, it happens off yeah. screen. But there is a there is a sense, and there are big question marks over the the similarities as well as the differences. Of course, there. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you know other little bits I loved were, um, I mean, the dancing in the elevator scene. How awesome is that? And and again, this brilliant. Is, you know, I just that want to make brilliant. this point because I read somewhere <laughs> that somebody was really upset that, oh, is this how you're going to defeat them? Not with an epic battle, you know, bringing in the game and all of that. I thought, no, th- this, was a- this was really well thought through and indeed becomes a pivotal moment to the downfall of King Cooper at the end of the film, you know, when the dude starts playing his mouth organ. So it's not just there yeah. for an event. It's actually there as part of the structure of the plot and the idea of dancing and rhythm and all of that just... Is, is actually throughout the film. You know, you've got that wonderful scene with, um, with Bertha and Mario, which is like from an old 1940s kind mm. of Hollywood spectacular, you know, on a dance floor, which I thought was great. So this, that, that idea and that music. And then there's the bomb scene, which is just 
yeah. chef kiss. Now what are we gonna do? Let's, let's talk a bit more about how the film operates in itself and, you know, and get a bit deeper on it. Yeah, okay. now we've kind of set some parameters. I mean, I want to say first off, for me, what I really liked about it, and we did a film recently where we were talking about a triple ending to a film. This had a triple opening, and I really like these things. So the opening, 65 million years ago, Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just brilliant. I mean, it, I mean is that... It, that's resonating surely with 2001 a space oddity so the odyssey <laughs> moves swiftly on <laughs> did you do that one on purpose no i did not and i have to purge myself of that somehow we'll have to do mm. the film or whatever anyway <laughs> look so dinosaurs ro- roamed the earth then then something happened a great meteorite struck the earth Goodbye, dinosaurs, and I'm not going to do the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but what if dinosaurs weren't all destroyed? What a brilliant setup! Yeah, I think that's wonderful, right? You've got this moment, and then you skip forward and you think the film. And but no, no, we've got another, we've got another uh, opening, which isn't, if you like, the proper opening. It's Brooklyn twenty years ago, and you get this woman nuns, the old classic scene. I think it's even in one of the Batman movies, isn't it? Leaving a baby on the on the steps yeah um, that would be danny devito's penguin danny devito is, yeah. is the penguin absolutely yeah so you got the nuns the egg the little baby with little bits of <laughs> shells stuck to it you know all of that kind of stuff and then whoop brooklyn now mm-hmm. and this idea of the missing brooklyn girls daisy holding up construction of of scarpelli's you know gonna put up a big building another trump-like figure yeah gonna put up a big building and him him threatening her with these missing Brooklyn girls, and that being a bit of a red herring, because, yeah. So the film's doing some very clever s- stuff with some setups there. So all of that setup's just brilliant, you know. And I thought, um, what a great way for the mo- movie to really quickly set everything up and put everything into play. And you even get, in the very first opening seconds, it's kind of all pixelated, like a game, and then it comes into view, into the real world, and all of this, that, and the other. See that? Yeah. Do? Yeah. Oh. That's out of luck! I got a feeling. No, Luigi, forget it. I gotta go with it. Oh, forget it, rock! Look down there! Rest Luigi! Luigi! I don't believe this. So we've talked a lot about the hero's journey in this podcast. Um, various different angles. Mm. And... Super Mario is a really good example of, well, it's often referred to by the idea of the hero's journey. You know, you've got the hero who's going through various different trials in order to save the princess. And uh, the way that manifests in the game is you've got various different locations, each with a different theme. Um, you know, mm-hmm. start off with the sort of a green countryside area, and then never actually got very far. 
in Super Mario because it's a really difficult game. But it is that you're underwater levels and other types of things. And this is a thing that uh, carries through to all like Sonic and its competitor uh, platformer games going forward. Now, I put it to you, Dave, that this film does the hero's journey like a platformer computer game rather than like a film. It does the hero's journey like a platform computer game. I mean, look, when I first saw the film, I did think to myself, you know, it's got a bit of that hero's journey, but I'd see what you're doing. You're twisting that slightly because, you know, we could end up doing every bloody film like that. And after Jeff, you know, (laughs) I don't know how uh, a reference to a previous episode, uh, listeners, um, look it up. Jeff on the... Arrival. on arrival and um, the uh, collective journey, rather than the hero's journey. So, but so, what do, can you unpack that for me? What do you mean it's got more of a gaming version of that in, in the sense that of what? In it, it's 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 more like a serial in a sense, rather than and than an accumulation. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. It, it's its focus is on going to different places. The film dances around different areas like how the game dances around different areas and we start off in well in this this is one way in which um in which it mimics the game so it starts off in a kind of like a normal what we would call normal so it's new york instead of like it's on the countryside but some normal then you go underground into an underground level um you go through a portal which leads through a pipe then you're in the you're in the cityscape then they're inside a prison they go to the skyscraper sort of um area then they're out in the desert then they're they're coming back and they go to a nightclub and then they go back to the main hq to the castle yeah i see all right i see where you're going with this right and each one's in a sense got its own little you know set of set a star that it's got to collect um so it's a it's a simplified hero's journey um rather than you know the one where you know you need to go yeah, and I fetch mean, all not, the different yeah. things you know it's not yeah. drawing on archetypes or anything yeah all right i've got you you've, you're right you're winning me over with this yeah it's it's that. a hero's journey where it's it is just about going to different places less than yeah um less than meeting the archetypes and and yes and yes. things like yes. that uh, because there isn't really anything that they need to defeat cooper there's no glaive no, but there's the the bit of the meteorite. That's the key yeah. thing. Yeah, okay, so that's lose, the joke. Bertha yeah. takes, and you know, but but even that is kind of like they don't. You know, they chase her, but they don't really mind. It gets taken. They yeah. soon forget about it. And- well, what's interesting about that as well is that 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 rem- that's really remains only ever in the power of Daisy. Yeah, uh, which puts agency into the to the princess character, which usually isn't isn't given there. It's not, it doesn't really belong to anyone else. And she's the only one only want to use it. And it does actually kill um, the other character who tries. Yeah. I mean, she, that's a really good point. It doesn't, I mean, one of the pro- big problems we saw with the classic hero's journey was if you like the passivity of the female characters, so, you yeah. know, that was quite prevalent. So the, to a point where it's like, even within the Mario games, it's become a bit of a joke. I, I can't remember which one it is. It's uh, I think it might be new super Mario brothers two. Which is a testimony to Nintendo's terrible naming scheme, um, <laughs> where it sort of opens up and Princess uh, Peach, I think it is, is um, is taken away, and uh, um, someone says, "Oh no, not again!" So what you're saying is the f- the film is um, should be celebrated for, as a as a corrective, yeah, to to 
to that kind of like passivity of the female rescuing the princess in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then when she comes back, like with the gun, in that last scene, the sequel bait scene, where she comes back and she's got like a gun and she's sort of all together and says, I need your help. But it's not, I need your help because I've been kidnapped again. No, no. Who's your mother's? What do you know about my mother? She was quite an inspiration. To some. When Cooper took over, she stole the rock and smuggled you to the other side. And she died. What about my father? Is he alive? It depends on what you mean by living. What are you talking about? Listen to me. I don't care whose daughter you are. Cooper thinks you're the only one who can merge the dimensions. I've waited too long to let all this slip away. You know, thinking about parallel worlds, we've got here, there's lots of, you know, what's the typology? You know, the universe is infinitely large, and thus, with a finite amount of matter, there'll be reoccurrence, so stuff can crop up and repeat at different times and different spaces across the universe. Then you've got these, you know, from string theory, these ideas of membranes and brains, and we're living on different surfaces, different big bangs, you know, where our universe is the one out of the anthropic principle, and there's all these other universes which could repeat us, and some which have got different values, which would just pop out of existence straight away because they didn't have the oomph to create matter, and Mm. all of this, that, and the other. They're massively weird to get your head around, yeah? Yeah. But to me, the, the weirdest one of all is the idea of a universe that splits at every moment. Yeah. You know, so, and this is one of the ways some, some metaphysicians of the really abstract variety get around the, the problem of free will by doing this. You know, the universe splits at every moment. So when you, every choice you make, it splits off in different ways. Therefore, you've retained the fact that there's a determinate universe, but also there are different choices that can be made, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I hate that one, oh, by the way. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> but this is the one it's based on, and it's based on this. So but is it, though, because it's, it's so... No, no, well, it is. Hang on, let Go me on. just say. So it's based on this one because what happens is there's the Earth, and suddenly, bang, a meteorite hits it, yep, and this meteorite creates a parallel dimension. Now, the, the, one of the more curious moments of this splitting of universes at every would be, and this is why I think it's the maddest of all. If you're gonna if you're gonna go with that, you can't just put it down to a big event like a a meteor hitting the universe. Yep, is that the only time it splits when there's a big massive event? Well, no. Well, what about when somebody makes a choice to go left or right? That would have to be a split. But then you're gonna have to keep going back, and there's gonna be a recursion down to every cell in every human body there. So mm. that's why I think it's completely mad. But anyway, <laughs> this is based upon yeah, the idea of an event causing a split and the two parallel universes going away. Now, there's a lot of films out there that explore parallel universes and, and other media as well. You know, you've got history of this kind of stuff, like Sliding Doors, for instance, from 1998, and Run, Lola, Run, I think that's the year after it, Tom Twyker. These films kind of emerge out of the avant-garde back in the 60s. You know, last year in Marion Bad, it's kind of got two characters who have got different memories of an event. Mm. Yeah, So they're kind of inhabiting different different places at the, at the same time, even though they're together. And one of my favourites is, um, and look, I suppose my favourite one is the Fringe series, 
2008-13, Abrams and Kurtzman's Fringe, which I absolutely adore. And it's kind of like the X-Files has finished. Let's make something like the X-Files, but not with aliens, but with parallel worlds. We don't say J.P.J. Abrams' name on this podcast. I can. (laughs) And I do. Kurtzman's fine. Wait, Don Pizza here. May I help you? King Cooper here. Oh, yes, sir. I'd like the Cooper special. Pterodactyl tail on that? Yes. Dino, lizard, hold the mammal, no worms, and uh, spicy. You've got these ideas of parallel universes, right? And and what what's going on with parallel universes? You, you know, you need to get between them and all of this, that, and the other. But what does this film want to do? And this is why I think it's an incredibly different from any other kind of parallel universe movie that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. It wants to merge them, which is the impossible with a splitting universe. Yeah, with a splitting parallel worlds. If you go with that phenomena, they split every moment and. I mean, it's an evolutionary model, yeah, mm. where things can't rejoin again. But it's got that moment where what you want to do is we've got these two different parallel worlds, and the whole plot is based around, and this got nothing to do with the game at all. <laughs> and, you know, the whole plot, and it's mad as hell. The whole plot is about wanting to merge two parallel. Now, you tell me, have you ever seen a plot like that anywhere? Uh, not in film. Um, wanting to, I can't name. But in comic book form, the DC Crisis on Infinite Earths is the story of um, the merging of uh, of a multiverse down to one universe. Ooh, okay, so there is a history there in the comics. Yeah, so that, that that's sort of like mid nineteen eighties. It was their attempt to um, to through a storyline sort of try and simplify their uh, comic book universe to make it more accessible to new readers. So you start off with like an infinite universe at the beginning, and by the end of it, there's only one. It's brilliant that you told me that because that then takes us back to our point on intertextuality. Because there is a comic, obviously, there's a comic book feel to this. Most certainly to me, in that very, in that second opening in Brooklyn 20 years ago, you know, kind of like, you know, it's all the, fr- all the cells of a comic, you know, at, at certain angles and then quick mm. cuts to faces and the egg and all of it is almost like a laid out from a comic strip, that, that little segment. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where it's pulled yeah. that idea from, like the merging of universes. But it's pretty unique in yep. film nonetheless. And and I, I suppose the reason I, I, I mention this and why I talked a bit about the history of it is because the whole idea of parallel universes or parallel times and all of this, that, and the other is to do is to explore yeah. a certain thing, yeah? Choice. Um, and there's an incommensurability to a choice yeah once you have made a choice once an event has happened once you have gone one way you can't go back you can't go back and change it you can't do anything about it so all of these films in their own way yeah explore that you know incommensurability of the two different three different universes how they are completely and utterly different worlds different outcomes and isn't that phenomena deeply terrifying? Phenomenon. Phenomena. Um, as a, an aside, I've thought of another one, the Doctor Who weird Moffat series that everyone hated except us. Oh, the, the Impossible Astronauts. Yeah, uh, and yeah. where, it, where it, the, the finale of that has um, an Earth where everything is happening at the same time. That's, that's a yeah. similar idea. 
That is a similar idea. I mean, Groundhog Day, in a way, is a similar... Deleuze, in his cinema books, in Cinema 2 from 1985, he wrote two books on cinema, and one is kind of, if you like, on what we'd see, think of more classical films and the other's kind of more disruptive. I'm trying to not use the word modernist, but let's use the word modernist films. He talks about a kind of filmmaking which um, has, has got the sign of what he calls peaks of the present. In other words, there are multiple presents all at the same time. He says narration will consist of a distribution of different presents to different characters so that each forms a combination that is plausible and possible in itself, but where all of them together are incompossible, which is a, a word quoted. I think that's from Leibniz. I can imagine Leibniz saying something like that. As a film theorist, I don't need to <laughs> worry about that. You do. But yeah, so it, there he's talking about a presence, you know, different presence to different characters. But, but he's, in general, he's talking about, you know, films that give narration a new value because it abstracts everything from all successive action. In other words, you've got the different actions happening in, in different spaces. So what's happening, obviously, in the reptile world isn't really affecting what's going on in the human world. Mm. You've got these two different things. But this film is really interested in, in, the, in the interaction of those two incompossible worlds. And in a sense, taking it away from the art house avant-garde and bringing it into a mainstream film, not for kids, but, you know, for multiplexes and, you know, to, yeah. to enjoy big concepts. I mean, this is a big concept film, and I think that gets missed a lot. That's why I wanted to talk about this this idea of the parallel worlds that bring it into that. I mean, it becomes a film for thought about the choices we make and the different possibilities that life gives us. And indeed, what if, as they say at the beginning of the film, what if the dinosaurs continue to thrive and evolve into intelligent, vicious, aggressive beings just like us? Mm-hmm.